Welcome to the Davy Tree Expert Company's podcast, Talking Trees. I'm your host, Doug Oster. Each episode showcases one of Davy's certified arborists sharing advice with everyone about caring for your trees and landscapes. We'll talk about everything from introduced pests, seasonal tree care, deer damage, how to make your trees thrive, and much, much more. Tune in every Thursday to learn more because here at the Talking Trees podcast, we know trees are the answer. This week, I'm joined by an old friend, Miles Stevens. He's a district manager in the South Pittsburgh area. I'm based in Pittsburgh, so we've known each other for quite a while. We're going to talk about native trees, and in particular, when we get going here, we're going to explore the wonderful world of pawpaw trees. Miles, how are you today? Good. How are you doing, Doug? I'm doing great. So is there like a definition for a native tree, or is it just one that, that's been here? How do we, is there a way to classify them? I classify native tree as something that would have been indigenous to uh, North America when the first European settlers came. That would I, That's what I would classify as native. And, of course, that can even go way beyond that point in time. But that's where at the starting point, I guess I would say. And let's talk a little bit about the benefits of natives. You know, natives have become a big deal in our perennial gardens and throughout the garden. But it's also, you know, native trees have some great benefits. Right, they do, because they've lived in the soils and the climate that we experience here. You know, that's how they developed. And so, therefore, a lot of times they're resistant to uh, certain diseases and insects and can generally tolerate uh, the, the ex- extreme weather conditions because, once again, those trees have grown and developed in that type of environment for thousands and thousands of years. So they can, you know, withstand a lot of these uh ups and downs a little bit better than some of the uh, uh, trees that we like to bring in. You know, when people bring you to the property uh, and they're wondering about this tree, that tree, uh, do you, is there much discussion about natives with, uh, with customers? Yes. Yes, there is quite a bit. And I'd have to say there's been more probably in the last 10 years. I think people become more aware, more cognizant of uh you know, maybe a better idea at times to select uh, native plants. You know, a lot of times people like to bring in a uh, tree in a magazine somewhere and, uh, oh, this would be nice. And you find out that uh, it's not really suited for our climate. You know, things are mild. They might do okay. But if we get really cold or we get really hot, you know, then those plants aren't suited for plus the type of soil too, you know, it can, it can vary greatly. And uh, you bring something when they grow to sandy soil. And we don't have a lot of sandy soil around here. We have clay and, you know, silt loams, but not not a lot of sandy soil around here. And we've certainly seen that uh, as as weather patterns have changed. Trees that, that did okay for a while, and then suddenly there's a polar vortex or the reverse. There's a, you know, all this heat and drought. And if it's some species brought from Asia, a lot of times they can't take it, especially if they're, you know, just on the edge of the hardiness zone. Right. And, and like you said, somebody sees a picture of this thing in a magazine. It, it does everything you want it to do. It's, it's unusual, but when the weather, <laughs> when it gets tough, that's when those plants uh, many times give up. Right. Right. They just can't tolerate it. I always think of blue, blue Atlas cedars, one of them. They're okay, but you get a really cold winter. And they can be put, they'll, they'll be done. They just can't tolerate that. And even Leyland Cypress is another one, I think, sometimes, too. They grow fantastic. And all it takes is one 
severe winter and and they're and they're gone. Uh, just a couple examples I think of right off the top of my head, but uh, those are things people like. They like the look of them, but when it comes to some of the weather we have, it's not usual for us to have zero degrees every year, but we do get that. And so they're not accustomed to that, then they're going to have difficulties. So let's get into the good stuff now. Let's start talking about here in the east. What are some of the cool trees that are natives uh, that we can plant? Because I want actually, I'm gonna, since we know each other, I want to start off with one that I know you have in your own landscape, the sourwood. Yeah, great tree. I mean, it's a native tree. It's one of those uncommon common trees, you know, and uh, you know they, they got to be a small, medium sized tree, but uh, uh, the fall color and with the flowers, that purple flower uh, leaf color with the flowers that are like a, a sort of drooping type flower is, is fantastic. Uh, a great accent plant for the landscape, and once again, they're, they're native, so they'll tolerate most of the conditions we have around here on any regular basis. Uh, uh, slow growing, and and sometimes that can be a, not a good attribute for trees. Sometimes people like them to grow faster. They're slow growing, but uh, they'll get there, and they'll, they'll give you some enjoyment you know, looking at them for some time. I mean, I think the one I have in my yard is maybe 12 foot tall, and it's been there for 15 years. So it's you know it's it's slow growing, but it, it's getting there. It's getting there. Well, actually, since uh, it seems that everybody wants something smaller now, that's that's right. the latest that's the latest trend. So the native sourwood, you know, it's just like fashion. Eventually, it comes back into sure. play. Sure. How big? How big will it get uh, at maturity? I've I've seen them get yeah thirty foot tall, thirty five foot tall. I, there's uh, one I mentioned to you before. It's in one of the South Hills neighborhoods and. You, it, it's it's probably about 40 foot tall it is really a specimen plant and wow. uh but it's not overly spreading it's not going to get to be a real wide tree it tends to stay a little bit more narrow um but uh but i mean to me a 35 foot tall tree is not a large tree uh and that'll fit in a lot of different areas a lot of different landscapes you know people are always worried about planting something that's be 90 foot tall and i certainly see that all the time that people didn't know or people having to move into the house they're not the one that planted it and it's like boy what were they thinking? Well, we got planted. It was three foot tall. And now here it is how many years later, but uh, certainly had a 30, 35 foot tall tree can fit into a lot of landscapes. So let's continue after that sour wood. What, what are some other things for the East that are, that are native that you love? Uh, I love service berries, another good tree, uh, native tree. Uh, you and Things you can get uh, shrub form, good tree form, native species, flowers very early here, flowers before, dog was most of the time i you know uh, i think that a lot of times people see them flowering in the woods they go oh, the dogwoods are already out in the woods well that's not the case that's probably service berry and of course uh, one of those deals where with common names you know it varies by area you know here around here it's called service berry out east is called shad blow and the reason for that is when it flowered in the east that's when the shad were typically going up to the delaware river or whatnot so that's why they call them shad blow service berry in this part of the, the country was sort of tied to about the time people see service berry blooming. That's when the traveling minister could probably make it back to those backwoods places. So they called it service berry. But a great tree, once again, small, medium-sized tree, uh, you know, nice flowers, gets fruit, which is, you know, a nice fruit, a little bit showy, but not so much that suddenly you have, you know, every uh, starling and, you know, your neighbor coming to your tree. Not to be showy. Uh, and I have one in front of my house. I actually have had uh, a couple times where uh, – where hummingbirds have actually nested in it. So, you know, it's so, of course, I have butterfly bushes close by. They go back and forth. But still, that nice size tree, the bark can be very interesting as they mature. 
and you look at it, it almost looks like if it gets wet, it sort of looks like muscle. You can see like uh, looks like a muscle. So in between, a little bit reddish. So the bark gets a little bit showy on them too. So it's sort of sort of nice. Even in the wintertime, you get a little bit of a accent there. So they're a great plant, but they're native and they, they, they do well here. Well, I'm so glad I listened to your advice probably three years ago about serviceberry because I stuck one in the ground and I just love it. Uh, so what else is on your list? Red bud. Oh, yeah. Another great yeah, one. Yeah. You know, it's, uh, and there's some great displays around here. I, you know, uh, red bud, I always think if you drive up I-79 and just before you get, uh, or just past the Carnegie exit heading north, that one whole hillside on the uh, west side is all red bud. Although I said the, the guy named a red bud must have been colorblind because they look more purple to me, but that's hey, whatever. <laughs> yeah, it's purple bud. Uh, well, that's funny you mentioned that because when when there are, are a, a stand of them and they are close to the freeway like that and they bloom, of course, my email lights up. I'm sure people are asking you too. Oh, yeah. What is that, what is that, that plant that, that has all that color on it on, on the hillside? Yeah, we have red bud and... Uh, you know, what's interesting with red bud, I think we talked one time before, how about the, the pods are edible? The flowers yeah. are too. Oh, they are. Yeah. So I was looking up, I was just looking something up because the pods, you know, how do you treat, how do you whatever? And then had there that they're actually uh, uh, very good and going salads and that type of thing too. So like, wow. You know, I, I told you once before, I had a client asked if the pods are edible and I'm like, wow. I better check. You better check on that before you do. And then I went online. There's a whole society of people in the United States that collect the seed pods for consumption. It blew me away. I didn't think it would be something that popular, but whole whole group of people out there. That's what they get into. So, hey, did you ever taste one? No, I haven't got that bold yet. So, you know, uh, I will one of these days. Uh, I'll try it out. Used to have a nice one in my yard, and unfortunately, I expanded my house, and that was the. Uh, the end of that. So I'll probably have to plant one in my yard. Used to have one. I, I'm going to eventually run out of room planting, but uh, you know, it's, I'll find some place to stick one. Well, how about one more idea for a really cool native tree? And then we're going to move on to, to pawpaws because we've got a lot to talk about when it comes to pawpaws. I'm going to go out a little bit on here. I, you know, everybody likes to plant oaks and, you know, I think a big sturdy tree, but you know, uh, I finally corralled one and planted in my yard, scarlet oak. And because they're very similar to pin oak, but once again, they give you a great fall show with called scarlet oak because they got the scarlet color to them. Um, they can be a little more higher maintenance tree pruning wise, but you know, they're once again, they're native to the area. Pin oak is really not native to this part of Pennsylvania. They're, they're you know, they're native to North America. So you say, well, they're a native tree, but they're not something you're going to, if you take a walk in the woods, you're not going to find them. Scarlet oak for sure. And a great fall color. Uh, so I think that would be it. That, that's if you're looking for a larger tree, you know, then you might go with the scarlet oak. That would be a nice one. You know, white oaks are always nice too, but scarlet give you some fall color. I think that's nice because pin oaks just sort of brown hang and then they drop not much to them. Scarlets are give you a great fall show. Well, we know that oaks do so much for wildlife, you know, in general. Right. Sure. Right. Oh yeah, for sure. So that's a great, yeah, great point. Great uh, uh, food source for uh, all kind of different critters out there. Everybody likes them. They're good. And uh, uh, yeah, so good point there. They're great uh, for wildlife, uh, large enough. You can get uh, some uh, uh, animals that like to live in them, squirrels. Maybe you don't always want to see those, but uh, hey, great nesting sites for them and for other birds. So yeah, oaks uh, oaks are important uh, in our, and in the wooded areas around there, a lot of oak, a lot of oak areas. So. 
So tell me about your introduction to pawpaw trees. When, how did you uh, find them? Well, way back when, when I was in college a long time ago at the Arboretum at WVU, they took me almost went all the way down the Mon River and now we saw pawpaws. And I thought it was sort of interesting or whatever. And, you know, they're, you don't see them that often around here. Well, probably about four or five years ago, I was out at uh, Raccoon Park and I think my oldest son and I were hunting and we're in an area above where the springs are up there. And we're just sort of walking down this old trail. We decided to take a break and we're looking. And of course, this point in time, we're talking December. We're looking at these trees. And we're looking and the son goes, I think those are pawpaw. And really? So we got looking at them and it's like, yeah, those are pawpaw. So I thought, well, that's sort of cool. I you know, don't see them around here that often. That might be a, uh, just sort of put it in my back pocket. Another part made it interesting was that where we were at was actually would have been my family's homestead. So, uh-huh. you know, so that's sort of cool, sort of a tie in a little bit there. Then I started looking around, well, where can I get pawpaws at? And I think I was at an event that the tree Pittsburgh had and they were right. selling pawpaw trees. So I said, well, you know what? I'm going to try to try my hand at growing these. So planted them. And uh, this year, First year, I got flowers on one. So I took your advice and I was hanging chicken parts around them. So <laughs> we'll see what happens. You know, only one flowered. So I may not be looking at it getting a whole, having a whole lot of success this year. The smaller one, there's two, I have two of them. One didn't make it. So the other didn't produce any flowers. So it may not be a year that I get fruit, but I'm getting closer now. Now the one is flowered. So, but I just thought it'd be interesting. And then you read the history of them and it was a, it was a, a major food source. It could be a major food source locally for, you know, Native Americans, and I always like to think it was uh, served as a chilled fruit, and supposedly it was George Washington's favorite uh, dessert, chilled pawpaw. So, hey, what could go wrong with that? That's what I always say, that I enjoy my pawpaws the same way that George Washington did, chilled. And so a, a pawpaw can be like the size of a potato, and it looks kind of like a big, giant green potato, but when you cut it open, it has this yellow flesh, big seeds, and tastes... Some people say cross between banana and mango. That's about as close as you can come. But every every one tastes a little bit different, and it, it, it's such an interesting tree to to grow. I found uh, my way to pawpaws early on when I moved into this property almost twenty five years ago. I was just looking through a fruit catalog, and I was like, pawpaws. That sounds pretty good. And so yeah, and a native plant that in September puts on, you know, has these, this big fruit. Uh, and the thing about the chicken parts, there, there's a, and I don't know if it's a myth, but it, they said that uh, indigenous Americans would hang dead squirrels in the tree because it, it puts on uh, like these kind of uh, nondescript purple flowers early in the season that are pollinated by flies. And so, we don't know if that was really the case, but to get more flies, that's what Miles is saying. He's putting his chicken parts there. Well, that's what they're saying too. Actually, the flowers, in a sense, are supposed to replicate an appearance of like rotting fruit. So therefore, they'll, they'll attract flies. So therefore, what you're doing by, uh, you know, adding some animal material is that you're trying to make it seem more attractive to them. Uh, and I've read other accounts that say the same thing. You know, some you know uh, chicken necks or whatever type of uh, you know, whatever you can get to hang near them and see if uh, 
you know, and that should help with the, the pollination or whatever. I have yet to v- visit that stand this spring out at the park, and I probably should go out there like this weekend to see if they flowered because I've always been surprised. I've never seen fruit on those out there. So, but I don't think they'd appreciate me hanging, you know, animal parts on the trees out of the park. I mean, yeah, I don't think that's going to go over well. Who would have thought when you got into uh, trees that you would be hanging uh, <laughs> chicken around a tree to try and get uh, the flies to pollinate it? Well, fact is stranger in fiction. So it's like, you know, why not? huh? Definitely. Tell me a little bit about how you found your way uh, to this job. Well, you know, it goes way back, I guess, probably, uh, to my job here, how I got interested in what I do, just to the fact that, you know, grew up in sort of a, I grew up out in Clinton and wasn't a whole lot around there. So I always liked tromping through the woods and building forts and all kind of stuff you do when you're a kid. And and I decided early on, I didn't really want a job where I was going to be sitting in an office all the time. And I wanted to work outside. And so I ended up going to school for forestry and graduated from WVU and, uh, and uh, 81 was a tough time to get a job and end up getting a job with another tree company, worked there for a year and got, then came back, got a job with Davey and, and sort of gone on from there. It's, uh, you know, been rewarding, not traditional forestry, but uh, I, I enjoy, uh, get to meet a lot of interesting people. And, and so to me, it's like microforestry. You know, you talk about traditional forestry, you're managing 100 acres. This is where you're going to property. People may have four or five trees. So you help manage those trees. And, you know, in the end, I think what the most rewarding is I think we're more of a tree. I'm more involved in tree preservation than anything else. And, and so that's, uh, I enjoy it. That's the part I enjoy the most meeting people. I met a lot of interesting people and I'm sure you do too. And that's what makes it people all walks of life, a lot of different interests, but that makes it makes the job fun. I agree, Miles. Well, that was a, a lot of fun to talk about uh, natives and chicken parts and pawpaws. Uh, <laughs> certainly appreciate your time. Uh, and, and we will be seeing you here locally in Pittsburgh, I'm sure, in the next uh, few weeks or so. Thanks again. Oh, thank you, Doug. Thanks for having me on. I do appreciate it. And I enjoyed uh, talking. I'll give you a pawpaw update whenever, it's, uh, whenever I get some fruit. By the way, that's what uh, my granddaughter that's what she calls me papa so i <laughs> i can't great. get away from papa everywhere all right i'll tell you what my my trees are going to have fruit on there worst worst case scenario uh we'll have to hook up and i'll give you a couple of nice pawpaws oh that'd be fantastic thanks that'd be great mom. thank you doug tune in every thursday to the talking trees podcast from the davy tree expert company i'm your host doug oster Next week, we're talking all about the best trees for your backyard, and there are some unique varieties we're discussing. We'll also dive into a complete safety check for the trees in your landscape. And as always, we'd like to remind you on the Talking Trees podcast, trees are the answer.